Uh, let's pray for Sam, shall we, as he comes to bring us the word. Holy Spirit, pray that you would fill this man of God. Just pray that you would work in him, bless his preparation. Lord, bless his life that he serves and lives for you. And Lord, would you open our hearts and ears to hear what you have to say to us. Amen. I'm just going to bring this bad boy a little bit higher. There we go. Hey, everybody. Yeah, like Luke said, if we've not met before, um, my name's Sam. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. Um, I just want to apologize to Faith. Um, before I asked her to, I should have thought before I asked her to do that reading and asking a 13-year-old to say orgies. Um, so I just want to publicly apologize for that. Um, I don't know how your Sunday has been um, so far. I, um, I was here this morning. Um, I lead the worship team here at this church. Um, and it's a, it's a joy to serve along and um, to lead such an amazing team. Um, and I was leading worship at the 11-day gathering. Um, we meet on Sundays. If you're new to SDC, we meet um, at uh, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. So when we gather it in the evening, we're part of this bigger um, church where there's hundreds of people of all different ages and stages um, that come together to worship Jesus. So we're part of that. Um, so I was here this morning. And um, I went home this afternoon and expected just like a pretty chilled out afternoon, putting my feet up, watching a bit of telly, eating some food, hanging out with my new wife, Hannah. I, I say new, I didn't have an old one. We've just only been married for, <laughs> for two months, so it, it is relatively new. Um, and uh, to set a bit of context, I, um, we were recently in France about two, three weeks ago, and um, I got to hire a car for the first time um, through this slightly dodgy um, website called WeCar. Uh, which literally translates as yes car, which I quite like. It's very enthusiastic, you know, yes car. Um, and we were driving to the airport to fly back, um, and I got flashed by a camera. Yeah, and, you know, I thought, oh, goodness me, what have I done? Um, I didn't think anything of it, and these two weeks have gone by, and I went home this afternoon, um, and at about 2 p.m., got an email and it was from the French authorities. <laughs> and I've ended up with a French speeding ticket. Um, so, and it's on the 10th of 15 days to pay it. Um, so I'm a little bit screwed. <laughs> and I'm going to end up having to pay 150 euros if I don't do it in the next five days. So my Sunday started really well. It's dipped, it's dipped. But I'm hoping it's going to peak again because I get to hang out with you lovely lot. Um, so yeah, that's what's been happening in my life. But um, enough about me. Tonight, we are asking the question... What makes Christian community different to any other? What makes Christian community different? How is it different from your sports team um, or your friendship group or your book club, if anybody's part of a book club here? We're beginning a journey across all our gatherings, thinking about the heart and the very fabric of what it means to be church. We're asking the question, like, why do we do this? Why do we come together? Why is church important? And I want to set things out right from the top. Um, tonight, I want us to leave understanding and being challenged that the distinguishing factor of Christian community and church is the presence of God. And from that, I want us to leave believing that maybe, just maybe, the church of Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. Um, but I'd love us just to, just to pray before um, we kick off. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would speak through um, what it is that I've prepared, the, um, the words that I speak, Lord. Would they be your words? 
Lord, we pray for softened hearts and open ears to what it is that you're saying to us tonight. Lord, we pray that your spirit would meet with us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we're reading from Galatians 5, sorry, I've realized that neither of us have said that yet. Um, Galatians 5, uh, verses 13 to 26. So if you do have a Bible, if you've got a phone on you, um, feel free to get that out. Galatians 5, 13 to um, 26. I wonder if you've ever been in a space or in a group or some kind of context of people where the atmosphere and the vibes, the chemistry between the people has just felt different. And it's almost as if like your soul is at rest. Like you just sit back in the chair and you just think, oh, my soul feels at rest. Like you can let down your mask if you feel like you're wearing one. Like you can settle into who you are. You don't feel any shame or any judgment, but you can just be you. As a teenager, I grew up in the West Midlands and I was part of a youth group um, of about 100 to 120 people. And every summer, um, we used to go on what we call camp. Um, and basically, 100 of us would rock up to a field in South Wales. We'd put up a couple of marquees, a bunch of uh, these like canvas army tents, and basically establish this little village where, I don't know, 100, 120, 13 to 18-year-olds, um, and a handful of leaders as well, it was all above board, um, would um, spend their week playing football, playing volleyball, eating, cooking together, um, worshipping Jesus, hearing talks from the Bible, all that good stuff. And for me, thinking and looking back now, it felt like it was almost removed from the real world, away from what was going on at home or what you were going through at school. It was away from uh, the internet and phone signal for a start. And by day one or day two of camp, there was just such like a buzz about the place People began to, began to come out of their shell. We're encouraging people into who they were, their gifts, their skills, their personality. People were raised up to lead, to speak, to pray, to serve, to do things that they never would have done before. It was a truly amazing, amazing place. And you see, young people, like myself included, were almost loved into life because it was friendship, it was fellowship, it was family. But it was family built upon, resting upon, equipped and enabled by the presence of God. I wonder whether you can resonate with that at all. Maybe that's what you feel like when you're with your family, if you know them. Maybe it's what it feels like when you're with a really close group of friends. Maybe it's what you feel like when you're actually at a party with a bunch of strangers. Maybe you've never really felt like that. But I wonder how many of us could say that we have been in a place where we feel like our soul is at rest, at church, or in a Christian community kind of setting. And that's where we pick up in tonight's passage. And I just want to give a bit of context to what we've read. Basically, um, the letter to the Galatians uh, is written by the Apostle Paul, who writes a number of books in uh, what we call the New Testament. Essentially, it's all about um, circumcision. And Paul has set up this church in Galatia. Um, he's preached the gospel. He's taught them about Jesus and the kingdom of God and how to live it out. Um, but because um, some of the people that were part of that church, and most of them were Jews, they'd kind of grown up in this Judaic tradition. Um, there was rules and customs that they had um, spent their whole life following and learning about. And essentially, um, there was a group of people that had um, kind of merged what they'd learned from Paul and the teachings of Jesus and what they knew and everything that they had known in their life together and formed this kind of um, different way of reading things and viewing and living their lives and essentially there was this division between people and Paul is writing to the church in Galatia addressing these divisions 
He basically says, Jesus came to earth and lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, and rose again to set us free. And that means that they and us were no longer bound by the law. But actually our righteousness and our rightness before God is found through Jesus, not what we can do. He says that what we can do will only get us so far, but actually we desperately need Jesus. And from that passage in Galatians 5 that we're looking at tonight, there's just three key phrases that I want us to pick up on, and we'll go through them one by one in just a moment. But they are, the first is understanding of freedom, that we are called to be free. The second is keeping in step with the Spirit and how we do that. And the third is serving one another humbly in love. So we've got freedom, we've got keeping in step with the Spirit, and we've got serving in love. So in the evening gatherings, we wanted to mix things up a little bit, and we want to create an opportunity for you guys to discuss and to kind of get the ball rolling about what you think. And I'd love us just to take two or three minutes, just turn to the people around you. Maybe you've met them before, maybe you don't know them, and ask the question, if you believe that you are free, how do you know you are free? So let's just turn to the people around us just for a couple of minutes. How do you know you are free? Go for it. So hopefully... That sparks some thinking about what it is to be free. What does freedom mean? And we want to we look at what the Bible says about freedom. And um, this passage that we've read, um, it kicks off. And actually, the whole book of Galatians is really about finding freedom in Christ. And if the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote this book, if he says that we are called to be free, what does that mean? What does it mean to be called to be free? Simply put, I think it means that we are free, and freedom is to be free from sin. And sin is um, a word that you may be familiar with, you may not be familiar with. It carries a lot of weight and connotation, but um, actually it's, it's relatively straightforward. It's, sin is the stuff that separates us from God. It's the things that we do that hurt people. It's the things that we do that hurt ourselves. It's the things that we do that ultimately hurt God. And sin is like a weight that's strapped around us, that weighs us down. It's the burden that weighs us down. And the Bible says that the wages of sin are ultimately death, that the cost of sin is death rather than eternal life. But I'm not here to bring doom and gloom because um, Jesus died on a cross and the beauty of the gospel is that we can find freedom in him. So if we, if we understand a biblical concept of freedom as we are free from our sin, that that weight, that burden does not hold us down anymore, that Jesus took our punishment, he took our torture, he took our shame so that we can be free, uh, to me that leaves us with a choice. That leaves us with the choice of what do we do with that freedom? What do we do with that freedom that Jesus won for us? If the slate is wiped clean, where do we go from there? If you think about someone who's been in prison for a, a while, um, they've, they've done their sentence and they've done their time and they, they're released. One day they come out and they've paid the cost and they are free. And if they ended up in prison as a result of, I don't know, a perpetual cycle of crime, um, they may decide to go back into that life and, I don't know, in a couple of months or even a couple of days, may end up back in prison. It may be all they've ever known. Well, they may take this newfound freedom and wish to pursue a different course for their life. And we have a similar choice. If Jesus has paid the price, if Jesus has brought us this freedom as we believe, then as we step out of those prison doors, there's a choice that awaits us, 
a new life awaits us. And does that mean that we just go back to our old ways? Does that mean that we just go back to what we've always known? Do we just continue in the habits and the addictions and the relationships that we've always been in? Because this passage tonight we're focusing on, it implores us to not use our freedom to indulge the flesh. And the flesh is a bit of a funny, it's a funny concept, it's a funny word. This passage is telling us we have a choice to make. It's a choice with what we do with the freedom that's been given to us. And if we have a choice, what are we choosing between? We're choosing between the flesh and the spirit, as this passage points out. And Faith has wonderfully read to us that um, the, it's pretty clear in what um, Paul believes is the, is the flesh. Um, let me just read a handful of them. Um, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Infer with that what you will. You see, the text says that the acts of the flesh are pretty obvious. In fact, these things are really obvious. They're rather all-encompassing. And contrast the flesh to what Paul says about the spirit. And this might be a concept that you're quite familiar with. Later on in this passage, we get to the fruit of the spirit. In fact, if you were part of this church and you've been around over the summer, you'll know that um, we did a whole series on the fruit of the spirit. It's essentially the attributes of the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. And we can read in the passage, it's love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A little layer in Galatians, it says that we reap what we sow. You see, what Paul talk, is talking about here, and this choice that we have with freedom, is about what we want to see grow in our lives. If we sow to the flesh, then we're looking out for ourselves first. We reap the produce of that. If we sow to the Spirit, following the Lord, keeping in step and walking with God, we reap the produce of that life. And the fruit of the Spirit is what grows from that place, walking in step with Jesus. And it depends on what we desire. Are we desiring things that are selfish for our own sake? Are we acting in our own interests? Are we not treating people right? Are we not honoring our neighbor? Are we not honoring God? Are we not honoring our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit? And on the flip side, are we desiring him? Are we chasing after him as we've just sung? Are we doing our best to walk on the path of holiness? Are we allowing his spirit to speak and inspire us to see this fruit grow in our lives? Because we've been given this freedom. We've been given this freedom through Jesus. And we have a choice, the choice between the flesh and the spirit. And if we've said yes to Jesus, maybe many, many years ago, maybe quite recently, or maybe even tonight, you're coming here and you're um, contemplating what it means to follow Jesus. If we say yes to the spirit, in our lives, then how do we do that? How do we walk in step with the Spirit? So we've got this freedom. How do we walk in step with the Spirit? See, verse 24, it brings us this massive challenge. It says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is weighty stuff. Let me read it again. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires desires. I don't know about you, but I read those words and I hear those words. I think, wow, is that true in my life? If I belong to Jesus, and I, I believe I do, have I crucified 
the flesh with its desires and passions. Because we're called to take these things, to take our fleshy nature, our anger, our hatred, our division, our sexual immorality, our envy, our drunkenness. We're called to take them and to crucify them. Jesus isn't pulling his punches. Paul's not pulling his punches here. The gospel's not pulling his punches. Because it's part of Jesus' call. To, he says to die to ourselves, and this is weighty stuff. But he calls us to die to our selfish ambition and our gain. He calls us to die to our own desires, to die to our own ways, and to follow Jesus. Jesus himself says he calls us to daily take up our cross and follow him. To take up our cross along with all these things, along with the flesh, and to follow him. And is this a massive, unbelievable challenge? Yeah, totally. Is it a ridiculous risk? Sure. To follow Jesus. And I don't have all the answers, and I'm not trying to say that I do. But if you were to ask me if it was all worth it, to take this freedom that we've been given on the cross, this invitation to walk in union with Jesus, to follow, to walk in step, and to keep in step with his spirit. If you ask me, was it worth it? I would say, yes. It is all worth it, because Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of it all, as we've sung. Paul writes elsewhere in the New Testament that to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's heavy stuff. It's a challenge. But when we walk and keep in step with the Spirit, when we make that choice with our freedom and follow Jesus, we follow his ways. We know that he is a good shepherd. We know that he's a great friend. But let me tell you tonight, he's an even better master. He knows the thoughts that come into our mind before we even think them. He knows the words that are on our lips before we even speak them. He knows the most intimate depths of our soul, of our innermost being. He knows it all. And does he look at us and think, no, not them. Not you. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. You haven't done enough things for me. Maybe next year, I don't know. No, he doesn't look at us like that. He looks at us and has compassion. He looks at us and smiles. Do you ever think that? God's smiling at you. He delights in you. He looks at us and sees us for what we are. Broken and in need of a saviour. Or at least I am. And in his infinite grace, he reaches out this arm of love to bring us in and to welcome us home. You see, guys, this is who we follow. This is who we're walking in step with. This is who we serve. This is our God, Jesus, by his spirit that we walk along with. And I truly believe the words that Jesus says when he says that I have come to bring life in all its fullness, life in all its splendor, life in all its glory. I believe those words. I believe that that is what he wants for each of us. That he wants us to take this freedom, to grab it, and to run this life with him, 
Because that's where we find life in all this fullness. So that's us, that's me and you. The decision that we get to make, the, the journey that we get to go on. But what does that mean in the context of us as the gathered church, as Christian community, as believers in this place, if we are believers? You see, the difference between the flesh and the spirit is that living by the flesh is inherently selfish. I know that in my life. <laughs> living by the spirit is inherently selfless. When we follow the flesh, we gratify ourselves. But when we follow the Spirit, we give glory to God. And this passage that we read in Galatians, is, it's all set in the context of community. Paul is writing to a church. He's writing to a group of people. And it's addressing these rifts and these divisions between God's people. Paul is speaking to a group of people that are at odds with each other. They're sitting in their different camps. And he tells them to not bite and devour each other, but follow the greatest commandment that's set through the ages of God's people and is found in the incarnation of Jesus, is that to love one another, to love your neighbor as yourself. And this passage takes it further to say, to love one another and humbly serve one another in love. Because you see, when we crucify our desires... When we follow the Spirit's desires instead, we follow in Jesus' example. And in Jesus' example, we love, we serve, we welcome, we encourage, we raise up, we pray for, we're humble, we're forgiving. When we follow the Spirit, we become a community that embodies love. Peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We become a family who puts each other first. We become more like Jesus. And the good news is that that's attractive. It's endearing, it's different, it's distinctive. My friends, that's the kind of place where the stranger comes and finds friends. It's the kind of place where the broken come and find restoration and wholeness. It's the kind of place where the sick come and find healing. Where the lonely come and find a family. Where people who think they've got it all together find humility. And this is the church. This is God's people. This is the hope of the world. When we accept this freedom, walk in step with the Spirit, and from that place, follow Jesus and serve and love one another. There's a quote I just want to read to us um, that I heard a while back. I've got no idea who it's from, um, but it's, it's a really good one. Let me just read this. It's probably Jesus here. <laughs> God's church falters from exhaustion. Because Christians erroneously think that God has given them a mission to perform in the world. And this is the crunch line. Rather, the God of mission has given his church to the world. It is not the church of God that has a mission in the world, but the God of mission who has a church in the world. The church's involvement in mission is its privileged participation in the actions of a loving God.
How good is that? Let me just read that line again. Rather, the God of mission has given his church to the world. It is not the church of God that has a mission in the world, but the God of mission who has a church in the world. The church of Jesus Christ can change the world. It's his church. We're his body. And we're called to love this city. Because Jesus gave the world his church as a vehicle for people to know him. It's by his grace and his spirit, but it's through us. That's the mandate, that's the call that we've, given, that we've been given. So let's take this freedom that's been given to us. Let's take it and run with it. Let's run to Jesus. Walk in in his step with his spirit that we may serve each other humbly in love. Exhibiting the fruit that we read about in our lives. For his glory and his sake that this city would come to know him. We're going to take communion together in just a moment. Um, but before we, we do that, just to finish, I'd love us just to turn again in our groups, just reflecting on what I've said, um, to pose this question to one another. I want us to think, how can the church be the hope of the world? So again, let's just turn into groups for two or three minutes and ask that question. How can the church be the hope of the world? Go for it. We're going we're gonna to take communion together in just a moment. Um, but before we do, I'd just love us just to take a moment just to, just to pray, if that's okay. So let me, just, let me just pray for us. Lord, thank you that your death on that cross brought us life, brought us freedom. Lord, help us to not take that for granted. Lord, we're sorry for when we do. But Jesus, help us to understand that our debt has been paid, that the slate is clean, that you offer us new life. Lord, thank you that you are kind and gracious. Thank you that you invite us into relationship with you. And Father God, I ask that by your spirit, Lord, would you awaken us to our freedom. Awaken us to this life with you in all its splendor, in all its glory, in all its fullness. Lord, this adventure of faith. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just see this for ourselves, but actually, Lord, our freedom would inspire us to love one another, to serve one another, to honor one another above all things. And Lord, that our example, that our calling might shift the atmosphere in this city, might transform hearts. And Lord, we pray above all things that it might lead people to you. But we need you, Lord. We need your help. We're desperate for you, Jesus. Jesus.